You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, since Thursday, and rightly so, much of the world's attention has been focused on England, the United Kingdom, and the royal family. I'll take a wild guess. How many of you, since Thursday, at some point between now and today, you've looked at the online news, you've watched something on the news about this situation? Yeah, everybody's watching. Everybody's listening. In fact, when King Charles gave his first national response and speech in response to his mother, the queen's death. He summarized her life and 70-year reign in four words. He said that she lived a life well-lived. Why don't you think about that? A life well-lived. And I'd like to argue this morning that that should be the motto and epitaph of every Christian. That we should be able to say in a much deeper way, yeah, that marks me, a life well lived. And so we're going to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 5 and look closely at verses 15 through 21. Uh, Now, Ephesians follows a typical pattern in Paul's letters in that the second half of the letter is application. So he set forth a lot of doctrine in chapters one through three, chapters four through six now, he's, he's applying that. And, and so we're getting to a section where he's applying now the reality of one's faith to, to the here and now, to, to everyday life and all of the situations, relationships that we might find ourselves in. And so based on that, I think Paul lays out for us three marks of a life well lived. And the first one, if you look at chapter 5 in Ephesians, verse 15, is introduced to us. There he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So the first mark of a life well lived is simply walking in wisdom. Repeatedly, you hear newscasts, you're going to see, I'm sure, documentaries about Queen Elizabeth that that will somehow drive home that in the midst of all of the years she reigned, that that she demonstrated wisdom in in a nation that went through all different kinds of both joyful moments and turbulent moments. And so we look closely at this passage and it says, there, there is a desperate need for us to live with wisdom, to be walking in wisdom. And if that was true in Paul's day, how much greater is that true today? 
Notice the emphasis, be careful. This is in a repeated tense. Be vigilant about this. Make this a priority in your life to be walking in wisdom. And then Paul often contrasts that. You notice how he says in that verse, but not as unwise, but as wise. That to be unwise simply means to lack discernment. And you see a little bit further in verses 16 and 17, Paul will tell us why. Why do we need to set walking in wisdom as such a key component in the life of the Christian? Well, notice what he says in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And maybe a way for us to understand not just the, the necessity of wisdom today, but is to compare it with the opposite of wisdom, uh, to be unwise, to be foolish, to lack discernment. And you probably realize in our world today, not only do we see a lack of wisdom, but in fact, we see something even worse than that. Uh, foolishness is profitable. Look at all the different videos sometimes posted on TikTok of people doing foolish and dangerous things. And what do they get out of that? Some of them get thousands of followers. You know, so, so in our world, foolishness sometimes pays off. You want your own reality show? Do a lot of foolish things. Networks will pay you millions to show us the things that are foolish. But here we have a biblical perspective on this, that not be like that, but be marked by wisdom. Which then brings us back to what is wisdom? What does it mean to, to be wise? And we're not strictly dealing here with education or degrees, but we're talking about a godly wisdom, a spiritual insight and discernment. You may recall in the book of Proverbs, the opening chapter, which is sort of follows a pattern in the first eight or nine chapters of like a father sitting down with his son to instruct him. What, what do you need to know to live a life well lived? And it all focuses on wisdom, instruction. So much so that Proverbs 1 verse 8 or 7 defines wisdom as wisdom is the fear of God. It begins with a right understanding of who God is. Wisdom, from a Hebrew perspective, is the ability to regulate and know how to relate to God. And isn't that what the Christian life is all about? It's how we live in relationship with God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, not, not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday through every single day of the week. And so we see as Paul turns to application here, he hits on a sensitive but necessary issue. We, we need to be people who walk in wisdom because we live in a world where wisdom is not sought, where foolishness is admired. But then notice the first part of verse 16 says, making the most of every opportunity. So we've defined wisdom, but now to think of the application of wisdom. Wisdom is practical. 
It's, it's not just information. Now, I think we would agree there is a part of godly wisdom that you need to understand the Bible to be able to move on that wisdom. But wisdom is always intended not to just be merely theoretical information, but, but it's practical. It, it relates to your world, my world, and even if you're Queen of England, it relates to your world when we look at godly wisdom. And you notice the emphasis there, make the most of every opportunity. Some translations put it very literally, which is a good translation, redeeming the time. So none of us have control over the amount of time we have in a day. We, we all have so many minutes, so many hours. But, but how do we redeem that and make the most of that time an opportunity for the glory of God? That requires the wisdom of God, walking in wisdom. And, and I like the thought that Paul says, making the most of every opportunity. Uh, there's different words in the original language for opportunity or time. Paul chooses a word here that means decisive moment. Do you ever think of your day and those interruptions that we all face as being decisive moments and opportunities? If, if God is sovereign, then what enters our life is his will. And he can take even the most painful and difficult things. But I think sometimes our problem is we see things like that in life as interruptions. We see them as unnecessary. Paul's reminding the Ephesian believers and you and me, we, we should see every single moment of every day an opportunity to redeem and somehow serve and honor God in that opportunity. That is walking in wisdom. That is living a life well-lived as a Christian. But Paul isn't finished yet. He has another mark to put out there. And this next mark is walking in the Spirit. Uh, you come to verse 18, and Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means simply unrestrained behavior. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you have a comparison again being drawn here. And it's interesting that Paul would bring up being filled with the Spirit and sort of saying, well, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When you kind of think back of what happened at Pentecost, where that was one of the immediate criticisms some had, what you're seeing here is not a work of God. It must be a work of the sweet wine that these people are already drinking early in the morning. So what does Paul mean here? Because he is primarily addressing believers. He, he's not out on a street corner. In fact, we know he's in prison when he writes this letter. He's writing it to a church, and it's meant to be passed to different churches. So the primary audience are believers. So why would Paul be telling believers that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'd, I'd like to make a distinction that I think is important, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens at conversion, like you immediately receive the Holy Spirit in full, in completion, at conversion. 
that that is distinct from the filling of the Spirit that Paul's talking about here. And, and let me show you why I say that. Look in Ephesians 4 and verses 4 through 6. So in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, Paul's talking to them about this unity in the body of Christ that is a work and a result of Christ's accomplishments on the cross, his resurrection, and the indwelling of the Spirit. But you pick up at verse 4, he says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And you notice he uses the word baptism there. And some might think, well, maybe he's just talking about water baptism, you know, part of your identification that follows your faith. But I think he's going even deeper than that. He's saying that identification as being a part of the body of Christ, that immediately happens at conversion when you receive the Spirit in full. Now, if you know any maybe brother or sister in Christ who is more in the Pentecostal charismatic camp, what they'll often say is, well, you, you get the Holy Spirit at conversion, but then later on somewhere there needs to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't see Scripture teaching almost like this, this two-tier Christianity. Like, in other words, we all receive the Spirit. We are all baptized in the Spirit at conversion. So now that brings us to the next question. What does Paul mean then in Ephesians 5.18 when he says, be filled with the Spirit? Because the tense there is continuous. In other words, he's saying to believers, constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not, not constantly asked to receive the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think if you take the analogy with intoxication, the thought would be you were to continually be under the increasing influence and control of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm not the first to say it this way, and I don't know who this can be attributed to, but, but the teaching here is not that you need more of the Holy Spirit, but he needs more of you. It's a continual yielding and surrendering to the Holy Spirit that is already in us. We don't need more, but he needs more of us, more of our surrender. And that's something as Christians, that's what we mean by walking in the Spirit. Not, not some ecstatic experience or, or something that stands out of the ordinary. Everyday life, practical living, how, how does the Holy Spirit influence and guide and direct you. So every believer is to live increasingly under the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and the comfort that is found in the Holy Spirit. And, and you've got to see this emphasis if you look at certain sections in Ephesians here, where Paul cannot seem to get away from this word or thought of fullness. And let me illustrate that. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 22. Ephesians 2, verse 22. And, and I could take you to chapter 1, but I'm not going to. But take my word 
that Ephesians 1 through 4, in every one of those chapters, there's at least one or two examples of Paul referring to fullness and filling. But Ephesians 2, listen to verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So continuous action. God lives in you. Then go to chapter 3 and look at verse 19. Chapter 3 and verse 19 this is part of a, a prayer that Paul has that we talked about in the adult class last week. But key in on verse 19, Paul's desire and prayers that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So he's praying for them that they would continually experience in a, in a growing way God's presence and working in their life. Maybe, maybe an illustration of this is hopefully when we get ready to hear a sermon, uh, you know, you pray for me. And, and maybe you pray in some way that God would speak through me, that his spirit would uh, empower me to speak his word. Notice that's what you're doing. You're, you're not praying that I would receive the Holy Spirit. That would be another whole problem. If before church, you're like, well, God, you know, please give give Pastor Kevin your spirit because he doesn't have it. You know, what, what you're praying is he's got the spirit just like you do. But that would be worked out more and more. And then notice chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 13. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 13. Paul says, and speaking of how God's gifted the body, he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the, what? Fullness of Christ. Be a people who are continually sort of being replenished, renewed, refreshed in that Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And this is a recurrent thought, not just in Ephesians, but, but in Paul's other letters. But let me read for you something, and you're free to turn to it. Galatians 5 and verse 25. So we're probably familiar in Galatians 5. You have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. This is the results of the Spirit filling you, working in your life. But you get to Galatians 5 and verse 25 in particular. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's an interesting way of putting that. Since we, meaning believers, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, when, when my wife and I go walking, uh, typically she walks a little faster than me. So, so I have to try to keep in step. Uh, which implies there's movement. She's moving to keep in step. I have to keep moving. And, and the wording Paul uses here is from a military background uh, to, to literally march behind or alongside of. And I like that thought of saying to each of us as Christians, the Holy Spirit is constantly at work. 
the, the real concern here is, are we resisting that? Are, are we keeping in step with what the Spirit tells us through the written scriptures in application and in learning? So it's never like, well, Holy Spirit, you got to do something. What, what have you been doing lately? Yeah, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? And so we've considered that a life well lived must be a life marked by walking in wisdom. It secondly must be a life marked by walking in the Spirit. But I'd like you to go back to Ephesians chapter 5 for the third mark that is, is enveloped within, in particular, verses 19 through 21. And that is walking in worship. Now, you're probably familiar that one of Paul's favorite metaphors for, for living the Christian life is walking. And we continually, I think every week, I get an email or an article related to how good walking is for your health. No matter how short, you know, if you're consistent, you walk. Well, the scriptures talk about the Christian life is, is like a walk. It involves activity uh, and hopefully daily activity. But, but you notice what Paul says beginning at verse 19. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul never used the word worship in those verses, but I'm convinced he is talking about worship. He is saying that when you walk and live your life in an attitude that all of life is worship. That delights and pleases God. And that's the perspective we have. Often we know we segment portions of our life. There's our quote-unquote work week. And then there's a time we're off work. And that mindset sometimes spills into our walk with Christ. So in other words, probably for most people, you might refer to Sunday as being a what? A day of worship. Uh, 10 to 11, roughly, is the worship service. It's the hour of worship. And then we sort of forget, even maybe unconsciously, that, well, wait, when I leave here, I'm, I'm still to be engaged in worship. And, and that line of thought should never leave us. Because when, when Paul says here, you know, speak to one another, psalms, hymns, and songs, that he is talking about worship. And, and notice how clear he is there in verse 21. All of this is then tucked into this. Why do we live this way? Why do we relate to people in an attitude of submission or a willingness to yield to the authorities over us? It's out of reverence for Christ. It's out of a sense of worship. For Christ. Do you ever stop and think about how you respond to your supervisor at work? How you respond to your wife at home? How you respond to your neighbors is actually a reflection of the degree to which you worship God correctly. That is a reflection of all that. It's not separate from that. No matter when and where it takes place. Notice he also says to them, 
They're, they're to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. So now we're reminded worship isn't just what comes out of our lips. We know you can sing any worship chorus, sing it with your lips, be perfectly in tune. Uh, that one doesn't apply to me, but be perfectly in tune, and yet you really have not worshiped God in your heart. It's been on your lips, but it's not really down here. And so we need a reminder that to be walking in worship is to see all of life as an opportunity to worship God, to honor him, to serve him. Luther was very big on this when he emphasized, you know, there's no difference between, you know, the priest, the bread maker. All life is sacred. All life is an opportunity as a believer to serve and worship God. And he brings that reality. Paul brings that reality home when in verse 21 and then the rest of chapter 5 and beginning of 6, he brings in relationships, everyday relationships. I mean, this is sort of amazing for us to think. Paul goes from some very deep theology, worship, corporate, you know, praising God together, whatever means of music you do that with, to now right into your house, right into your household, right into your workplace. So much so that you notice in chapter 6, verse 4, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 7, Paul sums up all this and says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men. Very similar to something he'll repeat in Colossians 3. So, so get straight in our thinking. A, a life well lived is, is walking in worship. Not, not thinking worship is just Sunday. Or worship is just when you're opening your Bible and reading. No, worship is how you are in the car. On Route 4, on the way to work, when someone cuts you off. How you are when someone is sharp with you. How you respond is, is either worshiping God or it's not worshiping God. So how can we experience this on a daily basis? Because our lives should be presently all of these marks, but we should also be thinking about leaving a legacy behind that we want people to comment on us whether you have reigned for 70 years or you've just lived your daily life faithfully and obedient to God making disciples corporately worshiping together willing to share your faith with others that we want it to stand out as a life well lived and so I'm sure it's going to be played over and over again. But the reminder that when Queen Elizabeth began her reign, King Charles referenced in his first announcement about her death. He said that here she said to dedicate her life, whether short or long, to the service of her people. Now, if an earthly monarch could say that, and we admire that, we're like, wow, that's, that's impressive. How much greater should we be able to say as Christians, 
I dedicate my life, whether short or long, to the service of the king and his people. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are so in need of your work in our lives. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, that you are a mighty and powerful God. May we be a people who are marked by surrender to you, service to you, and your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.